The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Good morning. You have money in your life a weekly radio program about the influence of money in your life. I'm Brian Farr. And I'm Ann Hutchins. So, Brian, the other day I was reading a post that said, what I wish I'd known about persuasion, feelings first, facts later. There are no exceptions to the rule that we must awaken the heart to arouse the mind. We have to move people emotionally before they'll take in information or act. Numbers have their place, but nothing beats a good story that makes them come alive. I have to speak to the soul so the facts have a fighting chance. You know, the context for this quote was advice from a senior manager to a new employee. But I bring it up because Helene Olin, our guest today, writes really clearly about tactics the personal finance industry uses to persuade individuals, and we may not even be aware of them. And that's a great quote. We usually think that the personal finance industry is all about money and less about the feelings. In my financial coaching practice, clients are often surprised by how little we talk about the numbers that brought them into my office and how much we talk about the emotions connected to those numbers. Yeah, no kidding. And both certainly have their place, but you know, let's bring Helene into the conversation to talk about the personal finance industry. Hi Good morning, there. Helene. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Just a quick introduction, Helene Olin is a regular contributor to Reuters and Pacific Standards. Uh, her work has been published in numerous print and online publications, including The Guardian, The New York Times, Slate.com, and The Los Angeles Times, where she wrote and edited the popular Money Makeover feature. And she joins us today from New York City. And so I thanks for – go I ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and I should say the real reason I'm on is I wrote a book called Pound Foolish, Exposing the Dark Side of the Personal Finance Industry exactly. that uh, came out earlier this year. Exactly right. So that's a great segue. You write in Pound Foolish, the vast majority of us are not messing up deliberately. Life has a way of happening. There's no personal finance or investment scheme that can protect us fully from the downward spiral or just plain old bad luck. Let's begin the conversation about our money. From there, all things will be possible. So my first question is, what is that conversation about our money? A conversation about our money, as, as I like to say, our personal finances are really all of our finances. The way the personal finance industry has evolved, it, is, it started during the heart of the Great Depression. And it was this idea that you could triumph over all sorts of adverse circumstances and take control of your finance and, you know, come out on top like a Horatio Alger story. 
In fact, in the United States in 2013, we've been living in a world where incomes have been stagnant or falling now for three decades, while at the same time, the cost of things I like to describe as the things you can't do without, that you can't cut back on, healthcare, education, housing, have gone up at rates well beyond that of inflation. Um, for example, you know, college is probably the most obvious. You know, people have tracked it in constant dollars, depending on whether you're going to community college or private college or state college, that it's gone up two to five times um, past the rate of inflation since the um, late 70s, early 1980s. And this is extraordinary. And, of course, people are falling behind on their money. Nobody right. can keep up under those circumstances. Right. So who's in the conversation about our money? How do we sort out the responsibility? Well, I, I think the first thing is to recall that this is really a political conversation. I spent a lot of time writing about both personal finance and parenting at one point when my kids were small, and I became convinced that both were these two great forms of political writing that nobody knew were political. Um, because, in fact, so much of what goes on with your money has to do with fa factors that have really very little to do with you. Um, as I said, we have this idea that we're going to teach people to be responsible and everything's going to be okay. Well, actually, most people are fairly responsible. We all mess up occasionally. But the problems a huge chunk of us are facing have very little to do with the fact that we're going to Starbucks you know, twice a week more often than we should. What they have to do with is the fact that health care is going up at extraordinary rates. Right. Right. You know, the, the, uh, you make an interesting comparison in your book that high fructose corn syrup being a major factor in obesity is a little bit like easy credit being a factor in the, where we are personally in, in the economy. Well, it's slightly more than that. It's easy credit that we need. It's not, you know, to you know, use one guru that I recently wrote about for Pacific Standard, Dave Ramsey. You know, his response to all of this is to tell people to just eschew credit. Do not go near it. Do not touch it. The only thing you can have is a 15-year mortgage for your house, okay? Right. You know, first of all, you know, Dave Ramsey is a former bankrupt who's now preaching that nobody else should declare bankruptcy, which I think mm -hmm. probably says everything you need to know about, you know, his take on things. Yeah. But regardless, the problem isn't that people are going, oh, my God, I need that dress, and, you know, I'm going to put it on the credit card, and I can't pay for it. Though they are. That is part of it. But the real issue is, is when you go to the doctor's office and you have a root canal, and, you know, they're like, it's $2,000, and here's a credit card. Who on earth is going to say no in those circumstances? Right. And, in fact, we know that the leading causes of bankruptcy, thanks to the work of, you know, amazing people like Elizabeth Warren, are health care expenses and the spiral they cause in your personal life, um, divorce, job loss, um, you know, and what I generally refer to is the economic plagues of the 21st century. Right. So knowing that or pointing that out on a daily basis, what can I do if I'm listening to you now? How do I, how do I begin to have the conversation with people that can make the policy changes? Well, I think the first thing you do is you're honest about it. I mean, and I think that's a really important step because the way this works is everything is our own fault in this society right now. And without denying that obviously one should manage one's finances responsibly, okay, you know, we're not 
a crazed nation of over-shoppers. We simply aren't. Um, though I would imagine most of us could probably stand to let go of the occasional impulse purchase. And I think that's really important. I mean, I think that's really the first step, is to say, I am being expected to do the impossible. Yeah. Um, the example I like to use is if you look at the literature of the retirement industry, they're now telling people to save 15 to 20% of their income for retirement alone. So they're essentially saying you should save 15 to 20% of your income for retirement. You need a three- to six-month emergency savings fund. You need to you know, save for your children's college education. Presumably, you want to save for a house. And you know, probably you want to save up money for the occasional splurge, right? Who wants to leave right. some you know, life where you do nothing and go nowhere and buy nothing, right? Right, That's right. It's actively impossible for most people. We live in a country yeah. with a savings rate of 2%. And before we say, oh, it's a bunch of irresponsible Americans who have no clue what they're doing, know that the savings rate in this country was 10% in the late 70s and early 1980s. Something happened, and we probably did not get collectively stupider. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that what you've pointed out, particularly historically, to see more of the decision-making and the information gathering pushed down to the individual level. Right. You know, define, define benefit plans. People used to not have to think necessarily about their retirement. When they retired, they had a retirement plan. Right. For the 401k, they have to think about it from beginning of work history until the end of work history and all the way along in between, not necessarily knowing what decisions they're making. Right. Well, it's more than that. There's one fact you need to know to do this properly, Okay. And it's one that's really impossible to know. And it's the day you're going to die. That's a really important yes. fact. Yeah. Um, most of us it changes a lot of things. Fact. Um, and if that's you are, really you, know, you could go on, you know, there, there are radio shows for you people. Um, it's not this one. But the, yes, exactly. the fact is, is this is asking people to do the impossible. And more than that, even assuming, say, you could figure this one out, The fact is, is it's not human nature to think that way. We have several thousand years of history to tell us that people really aren't going to think that way. And the odds of any of us changing that are very slim, okay? You know, people don't change, as my mother likes to tell me. The fact is, the financial services industry, however, knows that fact, okay? They know that you're not going to be paying attention to this. They know that, you know, nobody is going to be looking too closely. And so this is where it comes in and you start finding, you know, offerings loaded with fees, things that sound good at the time um, that are meant to appeal, but in fact are really not that great for people. Yeah. The, I just want to clarify, when you say people don't think that way, you mean that people don't think in such long term when I'll have this in my retirement age. They don't start to think that way in their 20s. No, Is that what they you mean? don't. And yeah. there's no reason why you would expect it. First of all, people in their 20s right now are in a horrific financial shape, okay? They are coming out of school now with over somewhere between – depending on whose numbers you're looking at, $28,000 to $35,000 per student in debt. They come out, they can't get jobs, or they cannot get jobs at the level to which they expect because they've done all this training and there's no jobs out there. They owe this money 
Um, while if it's a federal loan, there are ways to get it adjusted for income. There are no such backstops with, with uh, you know, the private loan industry, the banks. And right. finally, you cannot go into bankruptcy with this stuff and get rid of it. Um, right. So they're stuck, okay? To turn around and say, by the way, you're really irresponsible and not saving for retirement, it's uh. almost delusional in my opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, it's actively blaming people for their for a circumstance that is well beyond them at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, did you have a question? Yeah, I wanted to jump in here because there's there's this what I'm hearing you describe. I, I'm in agreement with you about how people sit down with advisors and sit down with insurance agents and all, and they're they're not in their best mind. This is not their specialty. So it sounds like what you're pointing at is that that there needs to be more clarity in the way that the financial professionals deal with their clients? There needs to be more uh, truth and truth and presentations? Well, right. And one of the things that's going on here is, is there's no real legal structure to ensure that. And frankly, it is in the interest of many financial advisors to not be clear with their clients. I mean, this is a really unfortunate fact. The term financial advisor, I like to say, is a term meaning absolute nothing. It, it has no legal residence whatsoever. Um, there are different types of, of people who advise with different legal responsibilities. Um, if you go to somebody who's an RIA or a fee-only broker, that a fee-only advisor, I mean, that would mean almost certainly they have a fiduciary standard to somebody. That means that they would have a legal duty to act in their best interests. The surveys we see show that most people believe that to be true if they are so-called advisors, okay? We know that. About two-thirds of people think that. In fact, the chances are around 80% that that is not true at all. The vast majority of so-called advisors in this country work to something called the suitability standard, which basically means if it kind of sort of fits, and sort of vaguely is flattering, it's okay for you. And I don't have to tell you if I'm making money on this sale. I don't have to tell you if there's something that's much better for you. I don't have to really be honest with you about your financial situation. In fact, I really don't need to know a lot about your financial situation. I don't need to sit with you for an hour and find out, you know, if you're planning to inherit anything or if your child is going to college next year. And so, that has so, led to a huge amount of trouble in the in the marketplace. So, Helene, what you're saying is that 80% of the, the financial service industry operates under the rules that you just described, while 20% are fiduciaries. They have to – they have a standard that, that really does take into account the – uh, the person sitting in front, what is their financial situation and what are the fees going to be? Is that what right. I'm hearing? It's 80, 20? Slightly more, like slightly um, more than 80 percent, but okay. roughly around there. So okay. one of the questions that, uh, that our listeners, if you're looking for a financial advisor, one of the questions is, are you a fiduciary? Yeah. Right. And there's kind of no way around this. I'm often asked about it because you know, fiduciary is a complicated legal term. And in fact, there's really no way around it because if you ask somebody, as one um, friend of mine has suggested, well, do you have, are you, do you have a duty to act in my best interests? Somebody might well turn around and say, well, I would always act in your best interests, mm -hmm. which is a wonderful way of not answering the question. Yeah. Yeah. And I should yeah, say, by the way, um, 
there is our attempts in Washington to deal with the situation. Um, and the response of the industry has been lacerating. They do not want this. Oh, um, I would imagine. Yeah. And they well, are this claiming is... that they cannot afford to serve many of their clients if they mm-hmm. actually have to follow the legal fiduciary standard as it is written right now, to which yeah. my response is, you've just admitted you have a business model that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a question that, you know, I just had a client conversation the other day and they're talking to different advisors and I asked them if they had asked if they were fiduciary and and the answer was not that specific question, but they all said they were acting in my best interest. Right, because who's going yeah. to say, actually, I'm not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you know anybody? <laughs> no, exactly. No, that is it. That is a sad truth. So how do people sort through the financial options? I mean, well, I think you... one thing, again, and this brings it back to the bigger point of my book, on one level, this shouldn't be an individual responsibility. There should be laws in place to ensure this because the odds are incredible that most people can't get their way through this. Um, one thing that people like all three of us who kind of like this stuff forget is that most people actually don't like this stuff, and they don't really want to think about it. Okay? That is so true, isn't it? I, I mean, and we're not going to change that. I mean, the example I always use, and I use it specifically because I really like trains, so I don't want it to sound like I'm making fun of anybody, is, is if you've ever met a train aficionado, you know how they'll just chew your ear off, or a car aficionado, which I'm actually not, about different makes and models and the history of various rail lines, Right. And they're absolutely convinced that if they talk long enough, you're going to understand their fascination and love it. Um, And I've been known to be very guilty of that one in terms of the New York's history of the New York City subways. (laughs) In fact, however, that is not true. You can actually see people's faces look beyond bored when you do that, okay? Yeah. And we have to like I'm, I'm going to have to break in okay. here because we have to take a break, but we'll pick this up on okay. the other side and maybe we'll hear a little bit about the New York City subway, which I'd okay. love to. But um, I'm Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, my co-host is Brian Farr. You have money in your life and we'd love to hear from you. So if you want to call us at 866-472-5790, we'd love to hear from you. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfar.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Ann Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Ann's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Ann Hutchins with my co-host Brian Farr and our guest Helene Olin. Helene Olin has a website that's HeleneOlin.com. That's H-E-L-A-I-N-E-O-L-E-N.com. And her book, Pound Foolish, The Dark Side of the Personal Finance Industry, is really a great book. It's well-written. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of great resources and things you should know if you're dealing with the financial industry, financial literacy, or anybody in the financial industry. So, Helene, let's pick up where we left off on the conversation before the break about what people should know about the financial industry. Well, the the thing is, is what I was trying to finish saying is we have this idea that we're going to convince people to like something that they really just don't want to do. Most people don't really want to think about their their you know their money on a day to day basis. They don't want to think about the fees in their retirement accounts, and they don't want to sit and parse these numbers over and over again. So the, the group that knows that isn't is the financial services industry, and you know as a result, you know they have ways of selling you on things that are not good for you. They have ways of convincing you to you know to invest in ways that might not be in your best interest. Um, I went and spent a lot of time on the dinner cir- uh, dinner the free dinner circuit. Um, I'm sure you know what that is, but for listeners who don't, it's this. Um, you know, it's these um, investment seminars that are really targeted at people over the age of 50, and they really work based on fear and persuasion. Um, and if you look at the marketing material, it's absolutely incredible. They actually will say, pitch to seniors by scaring them with a hot-button issue. So it's not just, you know, let's find out about Social Security. It's your Social Security check is about to be cut. Come here a presentation on how to save your finances. Mm. And, of course, you go to this thing, and while you're at it, they throw in a free chicken dinner, right? And <laughs> you go in, and they scare you to death, and they talk about the fact that, you know, Social Security is bound to be cut, and, you know, your retirement savings is not what it should be. And what do you know? They have a solution. And mysteriously, the solution works for every single solitary person in the room. And they know this without even knowing anything about their backgrounds. And it's often, you know, a very high-fee investment um, uh, product like um, a variable annuity or an indexed annuity or some weird form of estate planning. And, um, and it's extraordinary what people get sold. It's simply extraordinary. Well, they're selling, as you said, they're selling them security so they don't, the perceived security so they don't have, so people don't have to think about it. Right. Right. Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I beg people, if you're going to do anything in this life, do not go to these free meals because they all sound convincing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's another, the there's another piece. Had. 
there's another piece in here that when people walk into that that meal that that they are coming from a television environment that yeah. is is essentially doing the same thing about fear and collapse and the sky is falling so these well, people are are primed for looking for some sort of help me be safe in the future well tv tends to veer in two extremes i would argue it's either the sky is falling or at the other end, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's New Year's Eve, Mardi Gras, and Halloween all combined into one evening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's going to make it rich, 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 rich. Um, and I think that's actually a lot of what's going on right now because the stock market's up. And, you know, neither is a particularly good um, way to go. Um, you know, to use the example of CNBC for a moment, you know, we know from the studies that active investing is an absolute disaster for pretty much everybody but Warren Buffett. This is a really bad idea, and that includes if you're running a mutual fund, okay? They, have no, they don't really have a track record a heck of a lot better than you or me. In stock picking, most of us year in, year out will not beat the markets, probably less than 1% of us from the best research we have have that ability. So you have, if you say that, however on CNBC, you essentially don't have a network because who on earth is going to watch something 12 hours a day where somebody says, put your money in Vanguard Index 500 and go turn on cops. I mean, you're not going to watch it. (laughs) So the the answer is is to just talk up these stocks nonstop and sell people on this idea that they, of course, can get the secret. Now, here's the deal. Even if this did work, if you get a stock tip from CNBC, you can be pretty well assured a couple hundred thousand people have gotten that same stock tip at the same exact time as you, rendering it completely and utterly ineffective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over the long term. Right. And, but even and it then, may not be appropriate for you in any case. Right. And the other thing, of course, is there's this well-documented effect, and they've shown this in studies, where stuff gets mentioned on CNBC, it could be either positive or negative, it goes up. And the other thing you find is in the stuff recommended by Jim Cramer, there is this Jim Cramer effect where the second he mentions it, it goes back, goes up immediately and then sort of plops back down to earth over a period of several weeks. And in fact, you know, almost everything does not, you know, collectively does not do as well as the market. Yeah, one of the constant conversations that Brian and I have and that I have with my clients is this the conversation about internal versus external, you know, and I think that's what you're talking about is coming back to your values and what works for you. And it's really hard to keep that in mind when you're getting bombarded with messages about you're not saving enough, your social security check's going to disappear. How long are you going to live? Those kinds of things. That, that's really what we want to see shift is from the external response uh, response to the internal being proactive right well I, I i think again you're just almost asking you know people to not be people um <laughs> going to be reactive helene uh, helene i've got the strong feeling here that you're not an optimist people who know this are the financial services industry hmm it, it it does see you just you you really don't the idea the word that was in my mind was extracting it's almost like people have to extract themselves from all these distractions and settle down into what are their values and how can I uh, invest my money in the most effective way and what you're saying is that most people will not take the time or just are not wired to do that yeah I almost think it's 
more that we're not wired to do it. I don't think it's collective irresponsibility. You're not going to turn a nation of people into a bunch of, you know, financial services gurus. Um, as Jane Bryant Quinn told me, she said if they were really interested in their money, they'd work on Wall Street. I mean, <laughs> that's the bottom line on this one. Um, you know, could we all benefit from thinking about our values and how we spend our money? Of course we could. Um, I mean, that's just a given. But, you know, most people are very busy. They're bombarded with stuff on a day-to-day basis. You know, as, as a well-known demographer once told me when I was bitching and moaning to her about my, you know, my time management skills, she said, how many children do you have? And I told her, I have two. She said, how old are you? And I'm a member of Gen X. And she said, I'm in my 40s. And she said to me, you realize what your problem is, right? And I said, what? She said, you're expected to do twice as much as your mother with half the social support. And I was like, you're right. You know, we don't live with extended families. At the same time, you know, it used to be that you tossed your kid out the door and, you know, and they, uh, you didn't see them till dinner time. Dinner could be something like, you know, um, you know, a TS, you know, a Swanson TV dinner, you know, right. which my kids mm-hmm. refused to believe my mother actually gave me, by the way. And the, you know, there just wasn't much expected of people. And at the same time, of course, your grandparents lived nearby, and there was all sorts of family. And if there was a problem, the school took care of it. And we don't live in that world anymore. And so well, and we're talking about the same kind of thing happening in the financing in this right. finance industry that has gotten much more complicated, and we we're all expected to know a heck of a lot more about what what might happen and what might affect our investments, as well as defining what our values are around those. Right. I mean, what I like to point out is, is if you look at a history of innovation in the markets. You know, the year I was born, if we were going to talk about teaching people about their finances for a minute, you have to understand that there was, the credit card was less than 10 years old. A married woman had no right to one and wouldn't for almost another decade. There were no, um, there were no adjustable rate loans. Credit cards were still incredibly hard to access. Um, if you got a mortgage, you pretty much got offered 30-year fixed, and that was it. Um, what we now call a home equity line was called a second mortgage, was considered a source of huge shame, and was not something you took unless you were absolutely destitute. Nobody was selling it to you. Believe me, you had to go mm-hmm. seek it out. Um, and so on down the line. Um, you know, there were no ATM machines. Remember, you used to have to go to the supermarket yeah. and write checks. Yeah. Um, you know, supermarkets mm-hmm. didn't take credit cards. They didn't do that till almost, you know, 15 years ago. Exactly. There's been this explosion of innovation. And at the same time, we remain the same people we always have been. And this is really complicated, time-consuming stuff. People are very busy, and they have better things to do. Um, It's never going to seem as urgent to them as it's going to seem to somebody who actually does this for a living. That's just common sense. And again, who knows that? The financial services industry. Okay. Helene, I'm curious, in your work, because I know you were a journalist and then now you're doing the work you're doing, do you have a sense of the trends outside the United States? Is this? Yes, I do. Please. Um, And it's funny because I didn't write much about it in the book, and I should have. In outside, it's a mixed bag, like anything. But generally, there are, you know, the Australian system, for instance, now just automatically defaults 9% of people's salary away for retirement. Um, 
and it's done by the employer. You have nothing to do with it, though you can pick your own funds should you feel so inclined. Um, in Britain, they have banned commission sales. They have felt mm-hmm. that it is absolutely impossible to get anybody to act in anyone's best interests when they have financial incentives to not do that. And they have wow. simply banned them as of this year. Wow. Um, yeah. Hilariously, um, I had somebody wiring me money recently, and it turned into a disaster of the which, you know, is not to be discussed. And, you know, we were, she was trying to deal with the bank here, and I will leave the bank nameless. And, you know, it, she just couldn't get it fixed, couldn't get it fixed. And she finally said, it's not like this in Britain. The banks work. Mm. And sure wow. enough, actually, if you w- try to wire somebody money in the rest of the world, it's done all automatically and immediately. Well, here, the big banks are actually stopping people, stopping reform attempts to make that system work better because they make money on the spreads and they don't want to give it up. Um, So you actually have American Banker had a big article about this this week. You actually have the big banks like Citi and J.P. Morgan Chase stopping financial innovation that would help the consumer. Because it's profitable. It's profitable for them to leave it. Yeah. So where do you think the will came from just to stick with Britain? They eliminated commission sales on financial products is what I'm hearing you say. That's right. If, if what happened to that industry? Did that did you know? It appears to be going quite well. Um, yeah, it's just started, right? Still invest in Great Britain the last I heard. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they seem to be doing quite fine with it. Um, Good. You know, there is this idea that comes from the financial services sector that they have a right to make a really good living off of you. Um, Well, everybody deserves to get paid for what they do, but do they have a right to profit by giving you really bad advice? I mean, Mm. that's really a questionable assertion. Yeah. Helene, we have some uh, we have some questions that have come across, some from clients and some in emails here. Uh, the first one is uh, about student loans. Oh, that's always ha- the first one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have 70000 in student loan debt, 40000 with a 9% interest rate, and I'm getting nowhere renegotiating the rate. Is there any relief? Um, somebody asked me this the other day, and I, 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 you know what I said. Um, I told them, start organizing and marching on Washington. The answer mm-hmm. is no. Um, this is horrific, horrific, horrific situation. Um, students are being taken advantage of. Um, you know, the millennial debt generation is in a tremendous amount of debt. Um, and I think this is unconscionable what we have done to our children at this point. Um, can, can the Consumer Finance Relations Board help sort through? There's a little bit. I mean, and I urge everybody to go look at their website. Essentially, this comes down to whether your loans are from the federal government or they're from the private banks. If they're from the private banks, there's really not a lot they can do unless they do something, the bank does something fully in violation of the law, which is highly, highly unlikely. Um, Essentially, you know, banks get to do what banks get to do. And, you know, they don't have to renegotiate with you. Um, There have been horrific cases where they have gone after, you know, parents of children who have died who had loans. I mean, and repossessed parents' cars. I I mean, you cannot imagine what is out there. Um, And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, so I'm really sorry. I mean, I don't want to, you know, say there's nothing you can do. But you do have to be extremely 
extremely careful of reconsolidator of consolidating your loans. You only get to do it once. Um, I would, you know, urge anybody to go to the CFPB site and read the advice given there um, as mm-hmm. a starting point. Okay. And then which go from which there. site is that again? The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Yeah. Okay. I okay. would urge you to do that. It's very hard, I should say, for me to give specific advice on the air too without knowing, you know, where the loans came from, how exactly. long you've had them, you know, have you consolidated before, and all the rest. Yeah. If I if I could jump in, in, in one of your blogs, uh, this one was from July 12th. You had said colleges should have some skin in the game. There are colleges with higher default rates than graduation rates. Right. That's um, and that's a problem, too. Um, you know, and the new self-responsibility meme is that, well, everybody should go to public college and, um, you know, not take private loans. Well, you know, as somebody, I was talking to a professor at Rutgers the other day, and she said, well, the only problem with that is now, our college, now it costs $28,000 a year to go here. Who has that money? And so they're getting loans, too. Um, you know, but, you know, it, would it be better if colleges had an incentive to not steer people to loans? Absolutely. Um, and if I did give one advice for people coming up, you know, obviously cost is important, but I would say that the major, major offenders, the worst of the worst, tend to be the um, private for-profit colleges, where they would almost certainly not even be in business if it weren't for the student loans. Um, University of Phoenix, for example, I believe 89% of their revenue comes from the student loan industry. Right, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a really important point. So just know what, not just, but do know what you're signing before you sign. Yeah, but again, these things are so, so complicated. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, what I would say is you have to, if you have to remember one fact at all, um, and asking people to remember much more than that is sort of hopeless, right. it's that maximize federal loans before taking private loans. Federal mm-hmm. loans offer a lot more in the way of protection. There are income-based repayment plans. They are a much, much better um, uh, loan to have than the private bank ones. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I we're just, com- go ahead. Do we, do we have time? I just had a thought that I've never had before, that the student loans, because I see this in my practice. These are I have a lot of these folks who are coming in. They've, they're in the process of putting their lives together in the t- late 20s, early 30s, but they have this private. It, it's not like the Great Recession or the Great Depression where the entire country is dealing with it. They have a very personal $80,000 student loan or $60,000 or $120,000 student loan, and that's the effect of a great recession because it's just sucking any excess income out of their life more than excess. A lot of times it's, it's the necessary. It's pushing them into circumstances they wouldn't be in and they're struggling with it privately. Yeah. Right. And they shouldn't yeah. be because this is a huge societal problem. The amount yeah. of money owed is now approaching, you know, subprime um, levels of the 2007, 2008 period. And, you know, this is a huge, huge weight on the economy. It's all of our problems. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So, so as you say, open up the conversation and talk among yourselves, among your friends, to your representatives. Just be out there. 
you have, have to be out there. I mean, that's the really important point in my book is that I felt in, when I was reading this in Pound Foolish, we were sold on the idea that, you know, we were all individually responsible for this. That, you know, it was our individual decisions that had led us to this point. Well, actually, that's just kind of not true. You know, we are at the back end of a 30-year economic down spiral. It isn't your individual problem. It feels like your individual problem. It's made to seem like it is your individual problem. But, in fact, most people are having the problem. Um, I like to compare it to when, as a parent, you know, you get a phone call about your kid doing something in school, and they say it's all of you, and then you show up at some school function, and you find out half of the class got the call, and they blamed each individual parent. Well, something right. else is going on there, and every parent knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. We need to ta- take a pause for a break, but we'll, we'll be back in just a minute with our guest, Helene Olin. If you want to join our conversation, please call us at 866-472-5790 or email moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. I'm Ann Hutchins with my co-host Brian Farr, and you have Money in Your Life. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Ann Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Ann's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you're listening to money in your life with brian farr and ann hutchins to reach our program today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Ann Hutchins with my co-host Brian Farr, and our guest today is Helene Olin, whose book, Pound Foolish, The Dark Side of the Personal Finance Industry, is an important, an important resource for anybody who has to deal with money, and that's all of us. 
Before we take a call that we have and some some more email, Helene, I just wanted to ask you how you got started writing about the financial. Oh, this industry. is a really fun story. I um, was living out in Los Angeles and was freelance writing. And somebody from uh, the major newspaper in town called me up and said, do you know anything about personal finance? We need someone to sub in at the money makeover column here for um, Christmas break. And all I knew about personal finance was that it paid a heck of a lot more than every other sort of freelance writing. So being the astonishingly mature 30-year-old that I was, I said, sure, I know all about this. (laughs) And um, much to my shock, that started a career. Is the uh, story. But what I like to say, um, and I say this at the beginning of Pound Foolish, is it actually exposes um, the contradiction at the heart of personal finance, which is, in one sense, a lot of it, there's an entire industry of people who profit by making you seem that this is very complicated stuff. Most of it isn't. You you should be using low fee index funds. Um, You should be saving your money, right? This is pretty basic stuff, okay? At the same time, of course, I could be an expert for a very simple reason. My take was no better or worse than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the dot-com boom. You remember this time, it was in the late 90s, this time it's different. Stocks yeah. are going to go up at 10 to 12% a year, every year in perpetuity. Okay. Um, housing, worst investment you could ever make. Don't buy gold. All sorts of things that turned out to not be true. Yeah. And the fact is, is, as I said earlier, the thing I realized while writing Pound Foolish the only way anyone is truly an expert in this field is by the ability to predict the future. And that's not something yes. known to be among the human skill set. <laughs> Absolutely, because we base it on our experience of the past. We have a caller. We have Corby from Portland. Corby, are you there? I am here. You Hi, have money in your life. Welcome. You have good, a question uh, well, for good, Helene. Good morning. Yeah. Um, I have a, uh, I recently came across some money from an inheritance from my father, and uh, I, I'm, I've just related so much to everything that, um, you know, your, your uh, guest has said, and the book sounds like a great read, but uh, after all of this, um, I'm just, I feed into this uh, culture of fear, too, about money, so I've just decided to leave it in the bank. And um, just let it sit there, and um, I don't think about it. I know it's not going to go away. It's it's getting more and more to the point where um, I don't even know if that's a good spot for you know. It, I laugh and say I'm just going to put it in a coffee can and bury it in the backyard. But don't um, do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Here's a Lane, better idea. What do you have to say? <laughs> Here's a better idea. How old are you? Can I ask a question? I'm 59. Okay. You know, just. Put, you know, call up, um, you know, both, I would say the two, you know, Vanguard has loads of low-fee mutual funds. At least get some of the money into the stock market. I'm not asking, if you want to tell me the amount, you can, but try to invest a little bit in the stock market, a little bit in a bond fund, try to diversify a little bit, um, but keep three to six months of living expenses in the bank, whatever you do. Um, because the chances are you will have an emergency someday, and the chances are that emergency will be at a point when, um, you know, if the markets are down. You don't want to have to sell stuff when uh, in an emergency. That's always a bad way to go. Can you t- um, I'm sorry. Can you tell me again, you were, you were mentioning about 
how much to set aside for an emergency fund? Um, everybody has a different number, but general rule of thumb is three to six months living expenses. Okay. Um, and living expenses, by the way, that doesn't include the fact that you really like to go out to an expensive restaurant, you know, once yeah. a week. It means the expenses you absolutely have to pay. Yeah, the, I, I understand. Um, you know, housing, food, um, you know, Internet access, if, you know, because I really have become to believe that's pretty essential at this point. Things that, you, you know, feeding your pet, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Corby, thank you for your call. Uh, I have another, thanks, Helene, I have another email from a, I'm a young professional in my first career job. My company gave me the sign-up forms for my 401k, and when I called HR to have somebody walk me through my investing choices, I was told, we don't give advice. I don't want advice. I want education about how to think about investing in bonds or stocks at my age. What do, I, do you have any thoughts on that? I would try to um, – that companies often do this because they don't want to be legally responsible should the advice not work out. Yeah. So, again, I would – you know, if you feel you need to speak to somebody, uh, I give a few words of advice. First, a great rule of thumb would be to pick up a book called Personal Finance for Dummies. Um, mm-hmm. That will probably answer most of the questions you have. But if you need more than that, I would call um, the National Association of Personal Finance – um, um, what is it? NAPFA. I'm forgetting exactly what it's National for. Association of Personal Financial Planners. Planners. And I would call up and ask for recommendations to a fee-only fiduciary planner and have somebody sit down with you. Another network that is like that, um, and most of the people are NAPFA members, but not all, would be um, Garrett Financial Planning, which is charges by the hour. Correct. Um, and get some advice. And I urge everybody... Yes, it can seem expensive. It is money worth paying. It really is to get unbiased advice from somebody who is not in truth, not making money by selling you products. That yeah. is what you really quick, need. Quick question in here. So I'm that 26-year-old, and I'm thinking, oh, how, much, how many hours am I going to have to work on this to get myself educated to make a smart decision? Probably more than you're going to is the answer. <laughs> um, but the but do you think in, in five or six hours, if, if somebody was to sit down with a, somebody from the Garrett Network, let's say, read part of the dummies book, then go sit down with somebody at the Garrett Network for an hour or two, how far – I mean it would seem to me that they're going to get – they could take a real leap in their education. I would absolutely agree. I, I guess where I just break with probably you is I don't expect that most people will do that, and I think it's perfectly natural that they won't do that. Would I, in the ideal world, say you should do that? Of course I would. Um, and I think it's enormously helpful um, to do that. It's enormously helpful to read Money Magazine every month, too. I mean, but realistically, people, uh, the point of pound foolish is that realistically people are not going to do that and that they deserve to be taken care of regardless of whether they do that or not. Well, the point you raised, though, Helene, is a really good one, which is talking to somebody and at least having an outline of a plan is provides you, gives you a framework. So even if you don't go deep into the the nuts and bolts of the finance industry, you are exposed at least to a plan and a conversation about how your financial life 
could unfold. Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, and you don't need to talk to somebody. As I said, you can also do it yourself. Um, you know, but it, it, it would be incredibly helpful if people would do that. However, yeah. you know, doing that really can't protect you from the 21st century. It could make it more likely that you'll do better should a bad headwind come along. But the yes. thing I discovered in writing Pound Foolish is that it, it's not, it's not a linear line. You don't right. say you'll go to a financial planner, you'll get some advice, and all will be well. It doesn't work that way. Awful things happen to people. We live in a society right. where people are generally not taken care of. And one of the things that simply astonished me when I wrote Pound Foolish was the number of people I encountered who had thought they had done everything right, and you and I would have said had done everything right, but something terrible went wrong, and literally, you know, they found themselves... One woman had her daughter um, was uninsured and got into a horseback riding accident. Well, uh, that was the end of a million-dollar portfolio because, of course, what do you do? Tell your adult child, you're a financial, independent financial agent, you're on your own. No, yeah, life doesn't work no. that way. No, um, and Or people get fired in their 50s. You know, they have this great financial plan. Well, it's not going to be completed by your mid-50s. The evidence shows that people who lose jobs in their mid-50s do not get reemployed very easily. That's a huge problem. That's not a problem of financial planning. That's a problem of a society that does not deal with the fact that people in their 50s are discriminated against. Yeah. Well, I am sad to say that we are at the end of our time, and we have to wrap up. But thanks. Thank you, Helene. I want to thank you very, very much for this oh, conversation. Thank you for and again, pound foolish, get it, read it, think about it, and then keep our conversation going. Thank you. Thank you, Helene. I know you have a, a busy schedule today, so we really appreciate that you took some time to be with us here on Money in Your Life. Oh, thank you. This was really enjoyable. That's great. So, Brian, do you want to talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about next week? You bet. On the next episode of Money in Your Life, we will talk with Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. She is the author of How to Give Financial Advice to Couples. Kathleen will describe common myths about couples and money, as well as the five tenets of couple dynamics and how they unfold in a financial advisor's office. We will also explore techniques for facilitating effective financial conversations and for empowering couples to raise financially intelligent children. As you can tell, we're going to cover a lot of ground, but Kathleen has an excellent background for all these topics. So please join us. Be an enlightening and enjoyable conversation next week. We are almost, I think we need to wrap up. Thank you for listening today. I'm Brian Farr. And I'm Ann Hutchins. And please, let's keep this conversation going because you do have money in your life. Thank you for making Money in Your Life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.